Jessica DeMassa. It's good to meet yeah, you. Yeah, it's face good to, to meet you too, I think we've yeah. only met um, in Twitter land. On Twitter. So, uh, the, yes. the, the Twitter sphere, man. The, the Twitter the, sphere. The power of the Twitter sphere to connect is just unparalleled. It really is. Yeah. It is. And so for everybody who may, may not know you on Twitter, what is your handle so they can look you up real quick? Okay, I am at Mandy B Pro, and it is M-A-N-D-I-B-P-R-O. Okay, perfect. So yes. everybody can look up Mandy. That's right. Be careful Follow not to spell her. the wrong way. There's, <laughs> there's a whole please. other thing. Yes, brilliant and insightful. So I'm going to actually jump off. I would like to talk about, um, actually, why don't you introduce yourself for everybody who's listening here sure. and tell us about what you're doing with Aloha Health and, and just who you are in general. Sure, absolutely. So I, I'm Mandy Bishop. I'm the CEO, Chief Evangelist, and Co-Founder of Aloha Health. So we are a relatively new startup. We've been around for about six months now, and we are focused 100% on making social and behavioral determinants of health actionable for program design decision support, clinical intervention decision support, and engagement decision support to help really personalize the healthcare experience and design the appropriate care pathway and the appropriate engagement methodology for you as a person. Okay, break that down for me, Mandy, because that, yes, was, that, that was, was a point of awful. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that was a point of awful. So, so say that you go to see your doctor and that you're a diabetic patient, right? Okay. And say that you have, you're going to have particular challenges around your lifestyle. You're going to have a particular way that your family interacts. You're going to have a particular uh, when where you live and how you live and, and the opportunities that exist within your community sure. are going to impact your ability to manage your health. So if your doctor is able to understand the challenges and the motivations and the unique trust factors that are yours and yours alone, they would be better able to facilitate a care management plan that's going to work for you. So that is what we are developing, is the opportunity to make that level of insight. So it's not enough to say we know that these things matter, like the social universe matters, and you know where you live matters, we all know geography is a sure. vital sign, like, but it's not enough to know that it matters, it's having to be able to access what I should do about it at the point of care that is going to be transformational. So that's what we're working on. Okay, so how are you doing this? Because that is a massive undertaking. It is a massive undertaking. <laughs> it is a giant. So we've got this whole thing solved. Out. It's, it's figured out. out. It's, it's, figured out. Out. it's all figured out. <laughs> yeah. So so right now we are at you know like I, I like to it's a progression, right? So we're mm -hmm. eating the elephant one bite at a time. And so the, the bite that we are taking off right now is we've identified our baseline data sources. And so we've identified this kind of universe of social and behavioral data points that okay. are outside of the healthcare sphere. So we're not talking about claims data. We're not talking about clinical data. What are we talking about? I am talking about things like, you know, uh, all, uh, socioeconomic data around you, right? Okay. Demographic data, socioeconomic data. I'm talking about survey-based data that understands the trust factors, like what information sources do you trust for what means? So if I'm talking about healthcare, do you trust websites? Do you trust user-generated content that's on YouTube? Do you trust newsletters? You know, do you trust print media? Do you trust information that comes from a provider? Do you trust your pharmacist? Information comes from a pharmacist. What kind of information? Is it a billboard? Is it a brochure? Like that level of specificity sure. about the information sources. Um, and then things about you know your your household. Are you a multi generational household? So if you are a Medicare, you know, if you're a Medicare recipient, are you caring for young grandchildren? And and do you have you know adult children living with you? If you are an adult parent, like are you a sandwich generation where you're caring for your children, you're also caring for your your elderly parents who are living in the same household? And how does that impact your ability to access care appropriately? Mm -hmm. And how does it impact your ability to effectively care for yourself? So all of those data points that exist outside of healthcare, those are the things we're looking at. So we've started by identifying the data points that we believe matter. Okay. Yeah, that we, and, and amassing a data set 
and blending in uh, your data sources from things like climatology data, crime data, traffic data. You're kidding. No. Okay. That's <laughs> all incredible. of these things that matter, no, right? No, it does. These things Without all a doubt. matter. Yeah, right. if I can't, I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to tell you from an exercise program standpoint that you need to get out and walk around your neighborhood if there are 57 active gangs within right. your neighborhood. Like I'm just, that's, that's probably not going to be. Some advice that's not going to be helpful to you exactly. in a push text message, right? Like, you know, <laughs> being dead is probably not healthy, no, right? Like we want to make not. sure that we prevent There's a greater harm. health risk in you going out to work out than there is for you to it's, just stay in. Exactly. <laughs> so you would, you know, you would recommend maybe alternative exercise sure. programs like those, but that's the kind of insights that, that we're offering is like, so, so now that we know all of these things about you, like how should that impact your, your care plan and how should it impact engagement? Like you'll see it around, you know, we're here at HEMS and you see all of the patient engagement Without platforms and the patient engagement tools. And so we're, we are very zeroed in on the shiny object of digital engagement, which is great where it's appropriate. But there are a whole lot of people who don't understand and aren't comfortable with digital engagement from a healthcare perspective. They don't necessarily want to use an app. They want to have a phone call. They right. want to have a conversation. Or they need to be able to physically read something. And by the way, the something that they read has to be at the level of reading you know, comprehension that they can understand. assimilate and understand. Yeah. So being able to take all of that information and distill it down to what what it means for a physician to be able to prescribe or what it means for someone who's a population health management program director to be able to design an appropriate program for their diabetes patients or COPD, CHF. Okay. Um, it helps kind of drive up adherence levels because patients are able now to you know, follow that program because that program was designed for patients like them as opposed to unilaterally applying a program design to, you know, to your entire population without any comprehension of whether or not they're going to be able to adhere. Okay, so um, so with Aloha Health then, yeah. you've, you've started here, you've identified these data points. So who is yes. your customer for this then? Is it those population health program managers? I mean, who are you who are, yeah. who are you looking to reach with this information? So, yeah, so absolutely. So we have two primary customer bases, right? So the first is actually working with insurers. So we're working with insurers on program design for okay. care management, disease management, population health management programs because that drives their contract arrangements, sure. right? So how you design the programs for wellness initiatives, for employers, you know, and then for these population health management programs drives their contracting and reimbursement. And so both on the commercial side as well as on the Medicare side, there's the opportunity to do really new innovation in, in, uh, in preventive programs. Like the Medicare Diabetes Prevention Program mm -hmm. is a new one that was just introduced by CMS, right? So this year, providers are credentialing to be able to participate in this program, right. and next year they'll be reimbursed with Medicare. So private, you know, the private insurers, commercial insurers, always follow what's happening with CMS. So now that door has been opened for us to take a look at preventive medicine and how we could develop these preventative programs and how you could create effective program design around preventative measures. So things like preventing a fall. It's not enough for a doctor to assess fall risk. So great, you've checked a box, you've assessed a fall risk. Now what should we do about it right. so that we can actually prevent a fall? So there's one insurer that we're working with who actually has contracted with Home Depot to build ramps for senior communities. Oh wow, okay. Because that prevents a fall. I mean, it's something that's that simple and it doesn't yeah. have to be sexy to be impactful. Like you're, you're contracting, you're physically <laughs> building ramps. But if you can prevent a fall, then that's a precipitating event for a lot of health decline for seniors, and it matters, and it has a very positive outcome impact. So if you measure over time the cost and right. the, you know, the, the cost in the fall prevention and the, the cost savings, it's it's substantial, and it does you know it does impact the entire organization. So that's the type of programs we're working with now from okay. an insurer standpoint, from a provider standpoint, any of the providers that are involved in a risk-based you know, you know risk-based contracting organization, sure. so ACOs, as well as community healthcare. Okay, great. Right, because they are already living in the trenches, like they are living the social and behavioral economics every day. Right. So you know, giving them the tools to better understand like what they're seeing, like the, the experience that they're having, but to be able to quantify 
you know, what they're seeing, what they're having, and then what they can do about it to design these new interventions and engagements with them. Those are our, you know, our key markets. So Mandy, tell me, where did the inspiration for, for this come from? I mean, because this, this is a, I mean, this is a tremendous under, undertaking that, that yeah. you're embarking upon here. <laughs> and I know it's relatively new, but where did, well, how are you, what inspired you to start this and to um, take this approach? To take the, yeah, we've, we've always, so each of us had, you know, each of the co-founders um, had a very personal connection to feeling left out of the healthcare system for some reason or another, right? So we each had, you know, for, for mine, I, my focus has always been very um, very much around mental health and especially with like adolescence. So I'm, a, I'm the mother of a teenage daughter and so I'm seeing around me all of the impact of of social media in particular on mental health for adolescents. And then uh, Bill Bunting, another of my co-founders, you know, has been in the provider space and lives in Greenville, North Carolina. And there's a, he lives in communities where the social and behavioral determinants are you know, a much higher factor in, you know, in health management than they are in, in other areas. So each one of us just kind of brings a, a very personal perspective, very personal passion for the alternative uses of healthcare that's not being incorporated into the system and, and, and it's outside of our experience. Um, and, and so that was, we, we actually had this kind of brainstorm last year at Hims. Oh my gosh. Is when it kind of, it, it really gelled that we were all very passionate about this and then over the ensuing months it turned out that each one of us was taking a divergent career path anyway and it was just an opportune time for us to come together and say, you know what, let's solve this. It is not that this thing is not solvable, this is not a technology issue, this is very much just a process issue and being able to make it actionable, you have to be able to solve it within the workflow, right? You can't interrupt, you can't interrupt provider workflow, you have to be able to make it easy for them to make better decisions. Right. So, you know, designing a, a, an opportunity, designing a, a platform, a way for them to uh, facilitate decision support and understand, you know, without having to ask those questions themselves, without having to spend time understanding the data and collecting the data, but being able to just deliver insights, like that that to us was, was you know, tantamount to, to success. So what's so. the vision? I mean, it's, it's yeah. like it, the inspiration for this, I mean, it, I, I love that the, the, out of this, these divergent career paths, the three of you have converged yes. and formed something so great. So, so what's the vision for the future? Uh, the vision for the future is to be able to integrate and truly have like this personalized understanding of who you are as a person, right? So our, our, our goal is ultimately to allow all of healthcare to view patients as people. So I want to be able to have your doctor see you as a person and to understand, even in the seven minutes that they have to spend with you right. Right, in an office visit, I want them to be able to understand you know, how you as an individual need to be you know, interacted with how you know, and how you specifically are going to be able to manage your health most effectively. Um, so we are building, from a technology standpoint, we, we will plan to be building out a platform that can be accessed by an EHR, a population health platform, a care management platform that can call data points about you and I can say, okay, based on what we know about you, this is how your individual care plan and your individual engagement needs to needs to be structured. This is what you need. This is what we know that you need, and this is what you have told us that you need, and this is how you need to act accordingly. And so that way, the doctor has all of that information at their fingertips at point of care, and it's seamless. Do you think that there's going to need to be any shift in the way that providers approach um, working with their patients as a result of having this kind of information? I mean, it's so like socially and, and psychographically derived, right? So yeah. I mean, like, is there any kind of like, if you if you to warn the, the provider community out there, what do they need to be aware of in, in, in terms of really making use out of these insights yes. um, and really delivering that personalized care to me? To you. I think that it's incredibly, like, it can be sensitive, like the big brotherish nature, yeah. right? Of me understanding, as sure. a provider, so what do they me understanding to to all of this stuff about you. I think that as part of our physician's training, I think that we, be, you know, like you have to start in medical school. So not like not just on the, the timeline that we're talking about for, for delivering Aloha, 
but collectively understanding this level of insights and we are moving towards the consumerization of healthcare. So this is just a broader portion of that. Amazon knows what you should buy before you buy it, oh, right? Gosh. They suggest things that you should <laughs> buy based on your, or your buying history. So this is essentially us doing the same type of approach for healthcare delivery. Um, but yeah, being able to understand the patient's trepidation around that type of big brother approach and, sure. and being able to train doctors about the bedside manner, like being able to retrain you know, clinicians really about how to have that human connection, the human sure. experience. I think that the more we can get doctors away from the screens, like the, the more we can allow technology to be an enabling factor rather than an intrusion into this relationship. I think that as that convergence of the opportunity for you know, separation of technology from the face-to-face -face interfering with the human interaction, that human interaction and engagement is going to lend itself to a trusted relationship that will allow that big brotherish concern to dissipate. So I, I think that it's going to take time. I think it's going yeah. to be like, this will be like a decade long kind of a thing. Sure. But I think that the more and more we can get the technology so that it's seamless and not intrusive, and the more we can facilitate that human to human relationship, the more we're going to have an opportunity to leverage this type of information about the personalized experience without it feeling like it is it, it, this overwhelming intrusion into our lives. So talk to me about the other side of that then, because I mean, yeah. you brought it up. So it's like, you know, patients might feel that they're being intruded upon, or they do feel like Big Brother knows everything. And, you know, there's a lot of, of yeah. you know, a lot of fear around that, especially with insurance companies. And you know, that's one of your there is right. So, so yeah. how do you warn the patient about this? What does the patient need to do in terms of like participating in something that could really help actually improve their care? How yeah. does their mindset need to change? Um, and that's interesting. And, it, and it's being able to have the understanding of the patient and how much the, again the trust factor. So we're looking right. a lot at the trust factors, right? So who's delivering the message around the amount of information that we know about you? Sure. For even when we're working with insurers and designing programs, like the people who are delivering the programs are their providers. And so how, what, whether the program design and whether that individualized approach is, is being funded and prepared by an insurer or if it's being done by a provider, ultimately their providers and their pharmacists, we're finding that pharmacists are by and large, especially among the chronic population, you know, chronically ill, like pharmacists are trusted at an even higher rate than doctors. Right. They see their pharmacists on a more regular over basis. Over and over again. Mm -hmm. And they have multiple doctors, but they almost always go back to the same pharmacist. So being able to identify the trusted information deliverer and the trusted partner in that ecosystem who can actually help you facilitate that relationship, that's going to be key. And that, that understanding who that person is for each of those patients and being able to leverage that relationship on the back end from an insurer standpoint. Like if they're not going to trust the insurer, the insurer should not be the one who's you know, delivering the information, right. Mm -hmm. right? So it needs to be the physician, it needs to be the pharmacist, and so insurers need to work very hard to bridge the trust gap when, with those entities to be able to facilitate this relationship with the patients. This it's, is so it's a big complicated No, stuff, it is. Yeah. I mean, well, so, so is healthcare. So, yeah, exactly. of course, the, the solution wouldn't, I mean, it may be a sim simple solution in one regard, but there's a lot of players and there's a lot of different there are. Um, systems involved that need to be taken into account of. So this is such an exciting approach. I have one last question about Aloha, and then I want to switch gears real quick. Sure. All right, so what, what's with the name Aloha? I, as a branding person, <laughs> I have to ask, where did the name come from? So the, the name, the, the, the spiritual name came from, the, the, you know, all of us had recently been to Hawaii, and all of us fell in love with kind of the, <laughs> yeah, the concept of Aloha. So in Hawaii, you know, it's the name. It means hello and goodbye. Yeah. But it also means like warmth and embrace, and yeah. So that feeling of being able to have openness and you know, and, and embrace I love life that. and embrace. Yeah. So that was you know, that feeling 
is, is the name. And then secondarily, from a marketing standpoint, it also shows up at the top of vendor list because it starts with an A. I'm just going to, like, I mean, there well, is that. <laughs> I'm going to choose to live in That's that right. more ideal, idealistic, yeah. idealistic which is, which is truly where it really, came from. Well, yeah, because yeah. I think we all need a little bit more Hawaii in our healthcare, right? Exactly. We do. We all need a little bit more aloha. We the do. spirit of aloha. We need a little bit more of that, that beachy, breezy feel. Yeah. All right. So I do want to switch gears and I wanted to just ask you really quickly, you know, a little bit more about, we had talked about Twitter. We actually started out talking about that. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, I know one of the communities that you're very active in on Twitter is the um, Health IT Chicks. Yes. And so it's hashtag HIT Chicks. It's actually hashtag Health IT Chicks. Health IT Chicks. We Sorry. started oh, out the other it. way. Okay. We started out the other way, but realized that it was probably not, uh, we, we didn't think about the fact that it was a hit, hit chicks, chicks <laughs> and the, the domestic violence implications like that. It didn't, that, that wasn't what was intended. But the unintended consequence was that we were effectively promoting domestic violence. So decided to change it to health IT chicks. Okay, yes. so talk to me about health IT chicks. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. So, and, and I'm really personally interested, um, I mean, not only just as a woman, but I, especially in this industry. I mean, I, I was at JP Morgan Health um, earlier this year. Right. And I was with a lot of women CEOs, and there really aren't a lot of women CEOs that are really of healthcare startups, especially in health tech. So, and I know you've, got, you've had quite a long career in health tech and, and are yeah. experienced, and you're now the CEO of Aloha. And so, you know, tell us a little bit about this whole movement and, and what you guys are trying to do with Health IT Chicks. Yeah, so first let me give a shout out to Jennifer Denard, who is the founder of Health IT Chicks. And so she is at Jen, J-E-N-N-D-E-N-N-A-R-D on Twitter. So Jen Denard, the founder. Um, it started as a meetup about five, I think five years ago at, at Hims in New Orleans. There was a, it was a tiny little meetup and then it became a LinkedIn group and then it, you know, it had always been a, you know, a, a Twitter hashtag, but now they're hosting regular tweet chats every month on Wednesdays. Okay. And she has brought together this amazing this ecosystem of, you know, both leaders. So like Sue Shade is, is part of our, you know, part of the, the community and is a leader in the community. Naomi Freed, like really amazing, powerful, wonderful women across the industry. So from, from government through private industry. Um, who are helping mentor, like kind of, it, it, it serves as like an unofficial mentor network for women in And healthcare. that's greatly needed. Yeah, it really, really is. And, and so it, it's become, a, you know, an outlet for us to talk about the things that, you know, be very brutally honest with each other about the things that we're seeing, about challenges. Like I, there was, um, there are organizations we can talk about, the, the findings that we have around their actual culture and the treatment of gender within their culture. And we're able to have very frank and open and honest discussions about what is truly happening in the world and, and what you know, tactics and strategies we could take to help kind of bypass those, those issues. But yeah, I would encourage you as well as any, any men who are interested in, in championing for women in health IT and healthcare. Um, it is yeah, it's a, an incredibly supportive community. There's a there's a large LinkedIn group and it's growing. Excellent. And yeah, yeah. No, I know it's, it, it, it is very male dominated. It, it is. is. I always I always say uh, this is uh, my fourth hymns, and I always say I'm like one day there'll be a line at the ladies' room at hymns, and that's, that's right. how we'll know. <laughs> one day, there, one you day. Know, it's <laughs> so so just a few nights ago, I was I was really privileged to speak at uh, at an executive forum for a software company, and it turns out I was the first woman that they had ever had speak on a panel. This is 2017. That's incredible. Yeah, how does this happen? This is 2017. I was incredibly honored that I was able to do that. But how are we having this conversation? I, yeah. Women make up 53% of the population. How is it possible that women make up, what, 17% of leadership in healthcare? Right. How is that possible? I mean, and, and we are the CEOs of our healthcare decisions at home, right? right. So 80% of healthcare decisions at a household are made by women. So effectively, we are all CEOs. And so how we're not, you know, how we're not represented in larger numbers at that level of organizations, you know, we've got some work to do. We do, definitely. Yeah. And it's exciting to see um, groups like yours, you know, form. So it's health 
IT chicks. Health IT chicks. Hashtag yes. health IT chicks. That's right. right. So is that how people will be able to find out when the um, tweet ups are? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Hashtag health IT chicks. And, and the, it's, it ends and a LinkedIn group as well. Yes. Okay. Excellent. So yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's, just, it's exciting. And I'm glad that the resource exists because there are a lot of women who are trying, you know, with startups especially, yes. um, to be in technology and be in healthcare. Being in technology, I think, is hard enough, but being in technology and healthcare, there's an added layer of complexity. There and is. So and, having and others um, and pay kind disparity of and everything else. I mean, it's, it's yeah, Definitely. We, are, we, are the, we are the worst when it comes to pay disparity. Excellent. Well, I think, Mandy, we are um, just about out of time here. Sure. Um, to wrap up, I just wanted to um, ask you one last question. So, um, wh what are you looking most forward to, I guess, um, as you conclude your, your whirlwind tour here of HIMS 17? Of HIMS? I am still looking for the vendor who has brought a patient and or a panel of patients here to talk about the patient experience. So, all of these patient engagement vendors who are out here, if y'all had patients and actually you know, patients who require a substantial amount of coordination activities and engagement. If anybody's got one, please give me a shout out. I will come <laughs> out there and speak to that patient and interview them. And that'll be the only interview that I do at Hims is interviewing the patients who are there with you. Uh, but that's that's what I'm looking forward to. Is somebody who's actually putting their money where their mouth is is bringing patients to the table to talk about the patient strategies.